Hello everyone, I'm Tech Sergeant Shane Hughes and you're listening to Beyond the Horizon, a podcast produced by the Ohio Air National Guard's 178th Wing in Springfield, Ohio. In today's show, I interviewed Lieutenant Colonel Brian Moore about his career and his role as the commander of the 123rd Air Control Squadron. Lieutenant Colonel Moore, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shane. I appreciate you inviting me, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. What inspired you to enlist, and how did that lead you to where you are right now? Yeah, well, that goes way back. Uh, uh, growing up, I grew up in a pretty patriotic family uh, in Lima, Ohio. Uh, my dad was an Air Force veteran, really uh, from a very young age. Uh, without really having any idea what that meant, of course, um, uh, I I always wanted to be associated in some way, shape, or form with the, with the military. You know, a lot. My dad's uh, my dad grew up in World War II. He's a bit older, um, so he 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 was a guy who impressed upon all of us at a very young age the the importance of service. And uh, I guess I took that to heart, you know. And uh, you know, growing up, my heroes weren't necessarily sports figures or things. It was it was a, a military figure stuff that I. Uh, my dad being a history buff, he exposed us to a lot of uh, U.S. history, world history, uh, things like that. And I really did idolize the the, the, the military heroes uh, coming down from history, especially in the United States, U.S. history, uh, military history going back 100 years. From very early age, uh, again, that's all I, I really – really saw myself doing was was wearing a uniform and and going uh, going to serve again without really knowing what any of that meant uh, it wasn't until uh, later in high school and, and I, I'd learned about reserve officer training corps uh, I knew I wanted to get to go to college I actually uh, thought about enlisting in the Navy uh, my dad really wanted me to go to college so again my dad played a huge huge role in this pushed me towards uh, towards going to a university first. And that's what I did. And I went to the Reserve Officer Training Corps while I was at Bowling Green because I, again, knew knew that was the pathway I wanted to go. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. So, uh, you know, I received my commission out of Bowling Green State University and, uh, and joined, the, joined the active duty Air Force. That's, that's really kind of what led me to that. It was really no other pathway. Um, I really never considered anything else. About your military career, mm-hmm. when did you enlist... And how did you end up the commander of the 123rd? So, so uh, again, graduated from the uh, Reserve Officer Training Corps at Bowling Green State University uh, as a second lieutenant. Uh, so, un- unlike a lot of officers you see in the, in, in the Guard, especially, uh, I'm kind of an anomaly at the 123rd anyways, uh, as I'm the only officer at the 123rd that never had a day of enlisted time. Uh, I was a 22-year-old second lieutenant, uh, right, off the, right off the bus, as they say, uh, as green as they get. Initially, I went to Scott Air Force Base. I was a, uh, a comm electronics officer, now a cyber officer. Uh, used to be the 33 Sierra career field, now it's the 17 Delta career field. I spent about a year there um, working for uh, Air Mobility Computer Systems uh, Squadron, and we dealt in uh, deployable, uh, basically FedEx tracking systems, if you will, the little handheld scanners for tracking Air Mobility Command uh, packages as they flow across the world. And it was kind of a, it was interesting, especially for a guy who really didn't have a huge background in computer science, uh, as I as I d- don't have. Um, it was interesting. You know, learned a lot there, uh, but really, um, I wanted to do something that was more operational. And I uh, I got into uh, again without really knowing what it was I was getting into. Uh, I I volunteered to become a weapons director. From there, I went to uh, this, the the uh, 
325th Training Squadron at Tyndall Air Force Base and learned how to be a weapons director uh, and eventually an air battle manager when, when the uh, transition to that career field happened in 1997. So I, uh, that was my active duty time. I spent uh, three years at the uh, 71st Air Control Squadron in Moody Air Force Base, did a couple of deployments with them to, uh, to Kuwait, uh, Operation Southern Watch for, for the old folks listening. From there, I went back to the schoolhouse as an instructor air battle manager uh, and taught. Uh, it was a really rewarding assignment. Get to teach uh, all the new air battle managers as they come into the career field. And from there, I, I created a lot of connections that I still to this day, I run into people who were former students or at least know some of the former students that I had because, you know, you had about 600 students over that time frame. And really, you get to know the entire career field uh, by by being an instructor. So really great assignment for, you know, forming personal connections with people. After that, you know, I was a, uh, I had a family. I'd married my wife, whom, whom I met at, at ROTC. Actually, my wife was also a, uh, my wife Susan was also a Air Force uh, nurse. We had uh, finally gotten stationed together at Tyndall, and of course, we started a family. Uh, so we were uh, two children into our family at that point. We were started looking at life. Life looked a little different than it did in 1995 when we were starting starting the uh, starting down the pathway, and uh, we decided we wanted to come back to Ohio uh, and. This is uh, probably where I, my career path deviates from most others. Uh, uh, at the time, I didn't know the 123rd Air Control Squadron existed. And so uh, I started looking around at opportunities in the military in Ohio, specifically the Guard. And uh, I had a, a, a distant relation. He's, uh, he's like a third cousin who was a uh, colonel in the Ohio Army Guard. And, uh, and he, uh, he knew kind of what we did as air battle managers. And he said, well, you know, there's a unit in Southeast Ohio that does air defense that would be very, very uh, suitable for, for what you do. And so I actually transferred to the Ohio Army Guard uh, and uh, became a member of the uh, Air Defense Battalion in McConnellsville, Ohio, the, the second battalion, the 174th. And I did that for about uh, two years. It was very interesting, uh, certainly different than, than anything I'd done Air Force uh, related. Uh, I learned a whole lot, but I also kind of missed the Air Force. Um, so uh, at that point, I had, I, had, I had seen through, as I was looking through for, uh, for uh, some full-time positions, uh, I had seen that there were openings at this 123rd Air Control Squadron. And, of course, I said, I know what an Air Control Squadron is. That, that's right down my alley. So uh, I did some research, and I found out that it was uh, not only in Ohio, in Cincinnati. Uh, so it was really fairly close by. Uh, and I made a couple of visits, and uh, I liked it. And I put in for a transfer, and I also applied for a full-time job there. And so quite by happenstance, again, there's a there's a pretty good theme going through my careers is, uh, you know, really without knowing exactly what I was getting into, um, I found myself in a pretty good place. And I found myself uh, in 2004 at the 123rd uh, as a DSG and shortly thereafter as a full-timer. Uh, and so uh, opportunities, uh, now I was prepared for these opportunities, but I, I, they just sort of fell into, into my lap and I was able to, uh, to take advantage of them. And I'm forever thankful for the 123rd. It's a great place. I've been there ever since. Uh, so with the 123rd, I've worked my way up various positions in our operations section uh, up to become the director of operations a few years back and then uh, here in December of 2019 to, as the commander. So it was a quite a ride. We've, we've done a lot of deployments over those years. Um, I've done uh, seven overseas deployments and two in-country deployments. So uh, it's been very, very interesting time um, to be a, a member of, of the military or the, or the Guard uh, writ large. It's been an exceptionally interesting time since September 11th to do this, and it's, it's always been my pleasure. I've, I've, I've taken the greatest pleasure and satisfaction over being able to work with a really good group of people 
who uh, who are dedicated to a mission. And to me, there's no there's no greater. That's what gets me up in the morning every day. I love I love coming to work to to work with what has been a continuous long line of people who are also dedicated to the mission at the 123rd. Wow, that's great. I can really tell you're very passionate about this. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So the 123rd has a lot of really unique missions. Could you tell us about the 123rd mission and then um, tell us what your experience has been like since you've taken charge? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the 123rd is, is a fairly unique squadron. There are 10 air control squadrons in the Guard, uh, only one in Ohio. Um, we have a uh, the mission of providing command and control and battle management uh, for an area of responsibility working for a, com- a combined forces air component commander. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, terms there that maybe aren't familiar to your listeners. And essentially, the combined forces air component commander, who is the, the three-star or two-star, the general who's in charge of a given air operation, has a lot of authorities and a lot of power. And he was trying to execute a mission via a lot of different ways. One of those ways being through a, a tactical uh, command and control network. Uh, so essentially, the 123rd provides that network and the trained professionals to execute uh, the CFAX will uh, across an air, a, wide, a wide area. Uh, so what does that really look like in, in real life? It's a network of radars, data links, radios for, for good old-fashioned voice control that we, just, that we can put out into a battle space and then integrate it, network it all together, push it back to a group of operators who are sitting on radar scopes who are managing everything that's flying in a given battle space. Um, so that's uh, managing all of the friendly aircraft, uh, providing support wherever uh, they need it, whether that be air refueling, uh, coordinating of mission assignments. And there's also the mission of detecting you know, the non-friendly aircraft. And that's not just enemy aircraft. So that's uh, in, in, when you're in a battle space where there might be a, a, a lot of civilian aircraft or just general air, civilian air traffic, deconflicting your friendly traffic from that aircraft, from 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 those aircraft, uh, and then also uh, providing threat warning if there are adversary aircraft in the area so that you can uh, at the same time defend your forces uh, or in, in an offensive type environment, knock down the door uh, and clear the way of all the enemy forces so that our friendly forces can get to their target. Uh, it really encompasses everything that the, uh, that the Air Force and the, and the DOD does. It's an inherently joint mission. We control Air Force. Navy, uh, Marine Corps, uh, coalition aircraft. Um, it requires of our of our folks to become familiar with a, a vast mission set, various different kinds of mission sets, from air to air, air to air missions to tanker missions to uh, performing close air support over top of uh, friendly forces. And uh, that last one's one we've done very well over the last uh, 15 years or so since 9/11, working counterinsurgency missions in various parts of the world. So. I personally take great satisfaction in providing that life-saving air, air coverage over top of our forces uh, when they needed it. In a nutshell, that's what the 123rd does. And your experience as the commander, what has that been like? Oh, so it's been interesting, mm-hmm. in a word. Um, I took command in December, uh, so just in time for COVID. And so we, we've had uh, kind of the dual factors of COVID-19 that everyone's been dealing with and uh, and an upcoming deployment to deal with. So uh, whereas uh, in a March and April, like most folks, we, we were kind of bunkered down starting in May and going into June, we really kind of had to switch gears a little earlier than some other, some other units because uh, we had this deployment coming up that we had to get our people prepared for, essentially. We were forced very, uh, very early on in the game to come up with some innovative ways to to uh, protect the force, um, 
and get the job done, right? And getting the job done in ways that couldn't necessarily be done virtually. So, you know, you, you can do a lot virtually. And that's one of the silver linings of, of this whole thing is we've, we've, we've come up with some great ways of conducting training virtually that I hope will continue long into the, uh, into the future past COVID. Uh, but there is a limit to that. And once you hit that limit, you have to bring people together. So then the question became how to bring them together responsibly. So uh, not taking, I certainly can't take credit for the mask mandates and things like that. But uh, uh, those, those common sense approaches uh, we have utilized going through multiple now uh, unit training assemblies and uh, now coming up on our, our pre-deployment training. We have, we have multiple days of pre-deployment training that we're executing as we speak. Um, that so far so good. I'll, I'll knock on wood here. So far so good. We've had no cases of COVID-19 being transmitted on our base, uh, and uh, and we're quite proud of that. And so we we hope to continue that with the uh, end game, the end result being getting a force package of folks deployed uh, to the uh, to AFSET. We've been very successful at this point, and no reason to believe that we we wouldn't be successful uh, going forward. So uh, that has sort of been the uh, the the two, like I say, competing hallmarks of my experience in command so far. Throughout it all, and even before I took command, again, I, I go back to just the, the wonderful force of people that I work with, because it's all related. And it, it has to do with having a good group of people who you've given a very clear vision to uh, that are then in turn able to turn around and execute that vision. And this vision was, we need to deploy this force, and we need this force to be, de- this force to be trained. And, and COVID-19 is a consideration, but it's not a showstopper. And so we've gone forward uh, with that in mind, and we've been able to to execute that mission quite well up to this point. Yeah, deploying a unit is challenging enough uh, with COVID-19. That had to have required a lot of adaptability and flexibility. A- absolutely. And I've, I've uh, my, my guys are probably really tired of hearing it from me because it's every instance that I get to either bring people, quote, together, uh, either that's virtually or in you know, groups outside. Uh, we, we've taken a lot of different novel approaches to try to keep people together, maintain those personal networks without, you know, getting people sick, essentially. So uh, it's, it has been a huge challenge to, to keep, keep all those things going at the same time. It's like spinning plates, right? So you, you, you really have to constantly go back to it. You have to constantly uh, remind folks that this is why we're doing this. And then, like I said, they're good people. They are going to they're going to come up with good ways. And it's, it's not my idea. It's not my chief's idea. It's not my first sergeant's idea. A lot of these ideas coming from you know the senior airman level, saying, "Hey, why don't we do things this way?" Uh, because this is the best way. So, so allowing those folks, empowering those folks to uh, to bring their good ideas to the forefront has uh, really really gotten us through to this point. With COVID nineteen in mind, what? advice would you give to future leaders about leading during a crisis? First and foremost, uh, the, challenge, the challenge of this crisis was, you know, it changed. It, 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 it didn't really change, but our understanding of it changed as we went forward. Uh, and you think about how, how, uh, how the outlook was in March uh, versus uh, what it is today, uh, where I think we understand more about what we're dealing with. And so uh, we, we, we made a bigger cut uh, because we felt we had to, uh, shutting things down, for instance, having people stay at home, uh, essentially ceasing operations for, for until we better understood it. So the first thing I would say is, is as, as a leader, we need to understand the problem set. And that's tough to do when it's something like a virus because, you know, I'm not a doctor. Uh, and so you, you have to really trust in 
what you're getting from people who are competent. Uh, and you take all that, that information that you're receiving and you synthesize it uh, into, a, uh, into a, a course of action. And that course of action, again, doesn't come from one person or two people. It comes from a group of minds coming together and say, oh, this is our problem set. This is our available resources. Uh, what can we do right now uh, based, based on our known factors, based on where we're trying to get, what is our, what is our mission? How do we get there? Uh, how do we put all these things together, synthesize a vision out of it? Once you have that vision, you got to make sure that vision is clearly and repetitively identified to, to the members. Again, that was a big challenge for us, uh, and at least initially, because we weren't bringing people together. So, um, uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've utilized a lot of uh, digital means, sending out mass messages, uh, trying to, as succinctly as possible, get a simple message out to people of what we're, what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. Uh, that became a little easier as people started coming back and we were able to actually talk to groups of 40 or 50 uh, you know, who were assembled on our base. Um, our, one of our lieutenants came up with a novel idea of building a basically a base address system, kind of like a t- Microsoft Teams, but not everybody had to have Teams. And we, we were able to uh, broadcast through about 10 locations on our base from a single location. Uh, so much like we're doing now, we're sitting in a room broadcasting. We were able to do that with, uh, with anything we wanted to do. So we, we were able to bring people together in smaller groups uh, and then dress them all at large uh, to pass this kind of information to, to ensure that they had that simple vision of where we were trying to go. And once they had it, uh, they, they took off with it. They ran with the ball and they were empowered to do so. And they did so responsibly. So what are some of your future goals for the 123rd? Well, that's a that's a tough question, Shane. That's a uh, obviously the first and foremost goal is to successfully complete this deployment. You know, to uh, to take our folks downrange, do the mission, and have 100% of our folks come back safely. And that's that's if if that's the only thing that I get done in in my time as commander of the 123rd, and I will be a happy man uh, because that that is the, the really the name of the game. We get the chance to demonstrate what we've been saying all along is that the 123rd is the finest air control squadron in, in, in the Air Force. So this is your chance to go prove that. Again, good people. I uh, have no doubt in my, in my mind that that, is, that will happen, uh, that our folks will uh, do quite well. A great thing about this deployment and other deployments we've done is that they will fall in in an organization that uh, includes uh, total force airmen, so active component airmen, uh, along with guardsmen, other DOD elements, Air Force, I'm sorry, Army and Marine Corps, and coalition forces as well. So you really get that great chance to kind of show off your people to a large, uh, a large kind of subset of folks that do our job. So uh, it, it, it is a, that's, that is the number one thing. That's the number one thing I want the, the 123rd to do over the next couple of years. Uh, um, aside from that, however, we are in a time where uh, uh, the nature of our businesses, tactical, uh, tactical command and control is, is changing. Uh, and it's changing in, in a positive way. And, and a lot of it is driven towards technology. Uh, when I started doing this business back in the mid-90s, uh, you would take your radar and your radios and your people, and you would put them somewhere, usually fairly close to the fight, wherever that fight was, and you would set up operations, and you'd have to defend yourself, and you would, uh, you would hope to be there long enough to provide some sort of useful command and control until, you know, the Russians or whoever figured out where you were and blotted you off the mat. And that was, now nah, it's kind of an oversimplification, tongue-in-cheek, but that was sort of what our, our mission was in, in the 1990s. And we've come a long way, baby. I mean, it's, uh, uh, we now have the technological ability to reach back to, to take the vast majority of those folks, put them outside of the threat envelope, and still do our mission. And that, that technology is increasing. 
as we move towards the advanced battle management system uh, that the Air Force is and is, is working on uh, for the future, and that will directly affect um, how air control squadrons do business. Uh, so, so my long-term goal for the 123rd is to make sure that we're on board that train and to make sure that, uh, that we are prepared for the inevitable changes that are, are coming down the, uh, coming down the pike. As, as General Brown you know, said, accelerate change or, or, uh, or lose. It's essentially the same thing we're, we're talking about here. We need to be prepared because change is coming and it is accelerating. And uh, we need to be prepared to, to uh, keep up with it, to maintain relevancy so that, uh, so that we continue doing this tactical command and control mission in whatever form it looks like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when, when I'm retired and old and gray. Uh, so that some young airman that's in my squadron right now may even have the chance to to sit in my shoes, you know, a generation from now and and still be doing this mission. So that's the long-term goal for the 123rd. With that in mind, what advice would you have for a young airman in your squadron? Yeah, um, I mean, it's just that uh, another drumbeat that I, I give to my guys uh, day in and day out that they're probably tired of hearing of, but... This was uh, something that was given to me in pieces over the years by a lot of great supervisors and a lot of great leaders that I worked with. And there were three main things that were given to me that, that if you did them, and they're going to sound simple, but if you did them, you would be, you would be successful. And the first one was to simply be good at your job, right? So, so whatever your job is, um, whether your job is, uh, you know, a generator mechanic or, or a, a command and control operator or a uh, sensor operator or Intel or cyber or whatever your job is, or you're, you know, you work the security forces gate or you're, you're in services. It doesn't matter. Whatever your job is, you, you need to make sure that you know what, you, what that job is and that you're good at it because there are no unimportant jobs in, in, in the Air Force. And we, we've all been around long enough to know uh, there's been a lot of leaning uh, out of the force over the years, you know, um, where, where a lot of positions have been cut. So, I mean, not that there were really that many unimportant jobs back then, but there certainly aren't anymore. Everything we have, every person who comes, puts a uniform on and comes to drill, um, they're trained to learn a job that is essential to the overall mission. It's, it's one piece of the machine. And without that piece, the machine, uh, the machine doesn't work so good. So, so I always tell people that make sure you're good at your job, whatever that job is. And you may not even like that job, but make sure you're good at it. And the other one is be prepared, you know. So we as leaders, we, we look at the tangibles like IMR rates and we look at the tangibles, uh, that, that, the metrics that we, that we use to, to determine whether a unit is ready or not. And that stuff is very important and that's why we do it. And it is a good, a good kind of at a glance indicator of whether or not a, a group of people are ready. Readiness comes in a lot of forms too. And so I, folks need to be ready to go do that job, whatever that job is. At a, at a moment's notice. So whether that's, uh, again, being all, all your training squares checked or, or it's, uh, you know, I'm, I've got my financial house in order or I've got my family situation in order, my home in order, so I'm ready to deploy. All that stuff boils down into individual readiness, right? And then so a, a focus on each airman. Are you really ready? Are you really ready? Are you physically fit? Uh, do you have the, uh, the spiritual and mental resilience to, to prepare for a deployment? All that stuff is, is in fact, readiness. And so uh, the other thing I would tell an airman to be is be ready. And, and the last one is being a good wingman. Um, so um, we, we harp on that a lot, and we stress that a lot in our training. And, and, uh, and I think the term wingman maybe gets drumbeat into people's head a little too much, but it's, it's, I, I, I think it's a great term. Uh, so what is a wingman? You know, it's, it's somebody who is there for somebody else, essentially, right? So you're, you're, you make yourself available 
And whether that's in a supervisory role or that's just as airman to airman, you're there, you, you've maintained those connections. And again, that's really hard to do in this COVID environment where, you know, at the same time we tell people to maintain connections and we tell them to stay away from each other. There's challenges there. But we stress continuously that, you know, there's no individual who should go alone, go any, do any of this stuff alone uh, so that they maintain those connections with their airmen, um, being a good wingman. So all these three things work together, right? Being good at your job, being a good wingman, and being ready. If you do all three of these things, they, they will form a symbiosis that will create that, that airman. That airman will be ready to go do whatever mission you give them uh, and with a smile on their face. Uh, so that's that would be the uh, the advice I would give an airman is to just maintain those three principles and you'll you'll never have a problem. And uh, I've I've tried to maintain those throughout my career uh, as best as I could. Um, again, it's not it's not easy. It sounds simple, but in execution, it, it isn't simple. And that's where we as leaders are there to help them to to make sure they have what they need so they can do those three things. So be good at your job, be prepared, and be a wingman. I'd say that's some great advice. Yes, very simple, and uh, but uh, I think it, it's worked out well for me over the last 25 years. In your opinion, what defines a good leader? Just, there, there's not one thing. Good leaders have to be compassionate. That's, that's very, very important. Uh, they have to be able to put themselves in the shoes of those that they're leading so, so that they can relate to them. So uh, I, I would say com- compassion and relatability are, are a huge component to it. Good leaders also have to, uh, to, to be able to communicate. Uh, it's another huge, huge, uh, whether that's written communication or, or verbal communication, they have to be able to take that vision I spoke about and then relay that vision to, to the personnel that, uh, that they are leading. And that's, again, not just a squadron commander. That, that could be a staff sergeant supervisor who has a job to do at that moment. So how is he going to relate, you know, how are we, where are we trying to do here today or what are we trying to do here today? To, to that assembled group of airmen that he, he might be in charge of. Um, so cer- certainly compassion, certainly uh, communication skills. And then the, the, probably the biggest one is a leader has to trust, uh, especially as you go up in the ranks. You know, there's just, uh, you know, as a, as a young lieutenant, as a tactical leader, you know, there was so much that you had your hands on that you could ensure that it was being done right. And then you, you teach other people that this is the way to do it. And then you were there, right? So you were there to make sure that it, that, that it actually happened the way you thought it was going to happen. Uh, as you go up in rank, as you go up in responsibility and span of responsibility, uh, that becomes more difficult to ensure. So you, you have to then to trust them to do what you used to do. And so trust is a huge, 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 huge part of this uh, equation. So uh, a leader who can't trust um, is going to become a micromanager. And then that will erode uh, uh, a lot of things that will erode a, a unit's ability to think on its own, uh, an individual's ability. So they may have great ideas, but they don't bring them forward because uh, you know, the boss is just going to tell me how to do this anyways. So uh, trust is a huge, huge, huge part of this uh, equation as well. That was uh, probably the biggest challenge as I, as, I, as I increased my span of control was you know, kind of letting go of the details. Uh, again, you owe them that detailed vision, but you have to trust them to execute it. Uh, now that's not blind trust. That's that's trust, trust but verify. I think is a, is the buzz term. Uh, you know, there's got to be some verification. So you got to have some follow up. You can't just you know, leave them on their own. But that's that's part of being a wingman too. And that's being a wingman from the the squadron leadership level. Whereas I'm going to, it's not micromanagement. I'm going to follow up and make sure that you have what you need and you're in fact 
on the right track or, or do you need anything, right? Or is there something we missed in our planning that's preventing you from executing to, to, to the, the standard we set for the mission? Uh, so by following up, we are going to find out uh, what, is, what is required, what additionally might be required so that we can help those folks out. So what's next for you? Well, I think I was established uh, through the last 25 years. I really didn't have a plan, so I just kind of fell into things. But no, <laughs> uh, no I mean, uh, I, I don't really know the answer. I, I'll tell you, tell you what, Shane, preferably I would continue to do this job forever. I, I love this job. I love being at the squadron level. And, and I've, I've reflected upon that over many years. I know I, I've been able to stay in the trenches, so to speak, for so long during my career. And all of my, all of my friends that were on active duty were you know, at the 14, 15 year point, they were doing staff jobs uh, or they were, or they were doing something uh, that took them farther away from the mission. And in my case, the mission of tactical command and control. Yeah, I love, I love, I, I'm at the, I'm at the precipice of where you can be in the 123rd. So any, any movement from here would take me farther away from that mission. And, you know, there, it's bittersweet. So I look at that as my career, you know, I'll, would I love to go off and do something with a greater span of control or something, some, some, some greater task beyond that. Yeah. Part of me says yes. The other part of me says no. Um, you know, this is, this is where you've always wanted to be. Uh, so I guess, I guess my answer to that question is I'm, I'm in no hurry to go anywhere. Uh, but I also know the reality that at some point the, uh, the state of Ohio, uh, the Air National Guard will say it's uh, a move. It's time for you to move on and let somebody else have, have the reins. And uh, again, we've been training these people uh, all, all of our careers. We train the people who are going to replace us, right? And those folks are going to do a great job and they, they also deserve a chance. Uh, and so that more than anything else is be an impetus for me to move on to do something other than being the squadron commander at the 123rd. So uh, what that would be, you know, I don't have a clue. What I would hope that would be would be something else that allows me to to work with a dedicated team of people and, and allow me to do, to work specifically in something that affected the lives of airmen. Uh, so uh, again, I don't have a clue what that would be, but if if I were going to pick it myself, it would have to meet those two those two kind of litmus tests. You know, do I get to work closely with people, and does the effect of whatever I'm doing uh, allow me to positively affect uh, and empower airmen? So one of the things I frequently hear is that leaders are readers. So with that in mind, what book has had the biggest impact on your life? I like to read. I read a lot of books. Again, you know, growing up with my dad, it's, there's just no way I wasn't going to be a history buff. So I've read a lot of, uh, a lot of history, history books uh, dealing with, in most cases, military history. Not always, but a lot of military history. I've always marveled at the ability to make decisions and the ability to, uh, to, to see a, to see a huge, you know, very complex problem set and be able to boil it down into, into fairly simple terms that can be executed by, by a large group of people. I, I, uh, I read General, General Powell's book many years ago and, and his, I if I had to boil it down to one, one single book where I really took a lot of takeaways from it, it would have been General Powell's book and his his traits of leadership, and it's really more of a synthesis, though, of of many different things, that, history books that I've read and examples that uh, that I've read about. Uh, that again, I, I marveled at uh, some of these folks' ability to to get a job done under very uh, very tough circumstances in, in in some places. 
All right, that's all I have for questions today. Thank you so much for being here, Lieutenant Colonel Moore. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Shane. As I said, uh, um, I like any chance I get to uh, to talk about the 123rd and to find people there. Uh, they really do a, a fantastic job day in and day out. They've, they've, they've been doing it for, for generations, really. So, uh, you know, I've been there long enough to have seen, you know, represented a sample of several of those gen- generations come and go. And uh, it's been uh, a constant that folks that are there, uh, they've always taken on the, the, the ethos of being at the 123rd of, uh, we call it the Blue Ash Way, of uh, essentially getting getting the job done and trying to, trying to do it in a way that makes the bit most sense. And again, that sounds really simple, but as you and I know, it's not always that simple. You know, it's uh, it takes a lot of creativity and First and foremost, it takes dedication. You know, it takes people who are willing to uh, put in a hard day's work and then put in a little more, uh, whatever it takes to to get uh, to get get the job done. And so, uh, again, I'm 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 thankful to be at the helm of, of a fine unit like that. That concludes today's episode of Beyond the Horizon. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe and leave us a rating and review. If you're looking for more ways to connect with the 178th Wing, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also write to us at beyondthehorizonpodcast at gmail.com with any questions you have for us or even to share some stories of your own. Until next time, keep your eyes on the horizon.